You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Yeah, here we go. Um, I was going to do something before the musicians went down, but they're already gone, so that's cool. Thank you. That's all good. Thanks, mate. Um, <laughs> so why don't you just close your eyes with me for a minute, because um, this, uh, this series that we're in has been very challenging to our hearts, very challenging to our motives, to our attitudes, and to whether we're living for him or for something else. And um, I was praying for you this week, and um, I was just thinking about Elijah and the nation of Israel. And they have this huge moment in, in the book of 1 Kings where God shows up on the mountain, Mount Carmel, with fire, with fire. And he consumes the offering with fire. And, and after this big showdown between the real God and all the false gods, the entire nation of Israel makes a decision to turn back to him. The entire nation of Israel makes a decision to turn back to the Lord. And I just wanted to give you a moment right now with, there's no music on, but for you just to close your eyes and just to say, God, I wanna keep turning towards you. I want my heart to be made fully alive. The heavens broke open at that moment and a three-year drought was brought to an end because the entire nation of Israel turned back to the Lord. And I wonder what droughts are about to break in your life because you are turning back to him. I wonder what, break, what droughts are coming to an end because you are turning to the Lord. So I just declare that over you today in Jesus' name. You know, they, you know how they say, uh, follow your heart? Bad advice. It's bad advice. It can, it can be good, but, you know, our hearts can get all kinds of stuff going on in there. You know? That's why Jesus didn't say to the disciples, follow your heart. He said, follow me. That's, a better, that's, a be, that's better advice. That's better advice right there. Follow Jesus, and then he'll deal with your heart. Right? <laughs> I'm echoing a fair bit up here, Barnes. I'm not sure if you can hear that. Um, all right, here we go. Because I'm going to get loud and that's going to really echo badly. Because I do get loud. So today we're going to talk about worship. We're in a, in a series called Living Alive. And um, uh, I, I feel like uh, the more my heart gets on fire for God, the more my worship changes. The more my life changes the more my expression of worship changes, right? I just have to say the worship that we've had in service over the last month has been on fire. My goodness. Like that, I praise the name song that we sung for the first time a few weeks ago. Like it just took off. And I'm like, what is going on here? And I'm turning around expecting the whole place to be like jam-packed full. And there was like, you know, it was like our lightest service for, for months and months. And I'm like, there must be like 200 people behind me. And there's like four of them. <laughs> but I just, it's like our heart 
is being filled with fire again. And I've been loving the sound of worship that we've been creating to God. So we're going to look at three different passages today uh, that help us to kind of worship with hearts that are becoming more and more fully alive. Because I don't want to be a boring Christian. I don't want to be a dead Jesus follower. I don't want to be this, you know, this anemic, weak, kind of insipid person who doesn't have any kind of any, anything going on. I want to be filled with passion and heart for Jesus. But like, like Beck pointed out a couple of weeks ago, passion is not a personality. All right. Passion is not a personality. You don't have to be loud and, you know, demonstrative, like and, and outwardly expressive in your life and your, in, and your passion, you know, to be a person of passion. But it does depend on what's going on in your heart. Yeah. Right. Um, I like what uh, Pastor Nate said. He's about to finish up. He's just finished up. But I like what he said to me the other day. He says, passion comes first from emotion, but it's sustained by decision. You keep making those decisions that, God, you are my all. Your passion will keep getting hotter and hotter, hotter and hotter. So we're going to look at three passages today. I'm going to jump over to Luke chapter 7. Uh, this is a pretty confronting passage. So just... Um, we're going, to, we're going to walk through this one together, but I'm determined to have fun this morning anyway, all right? I, uh, I'm determined to, and I'm determined to finish on time as well, all right? And everyone's like, yes, that'd be great. That'd be really good. Cool. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to uh, 38. So when one of the Pharisees, I'm reading from the New uh, International Version, the NIV, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair kissed them and poured perfume on them. That's, that's a little weird. That's, uh, 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 if I was sitting around the table and that was take, if, if, if I'm at your house and that happens, I'm going to be a little weirded out. So the Pharisee who invited Jesus, or one of the Pharisees there who invited Jesus to his home, he, he's, he tells himself at this point, Jesus has no idea what's going on. He's telling himself, Jesus has no idea who this is. He, he, he has no idea what she's done. He doesn't know that she is the town harlot, like it says in another verse. No joke. She's the town prostitute. I'll prove it to you in a minute. This woman is very, very likely to be the town prostitute. And she is a broken woman right? So Jesus, Jesus gets a word of knowledge and hears by the Holy Spirit what the Pharisee is thinking. And he goes on to say this, to tell this parable. In verse 41, it, he says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is a, about a, a, a day's wage. And the other, 50. So 500 days wages, one man owed him, and the other 50 wages, days wages. 
Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And you have judged correctly, Jesus said. So let's translate that to Australian average wage right now. So one guy owes $11,600 and he has his debt totally cleared. Now, if I'm a guy who owes someone $11,600 and they come to me and say, eh, don't worry about it. I'm going to be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really? That's, that's awfully kind of you. Uh, that, that's, that's actually very helpful to my family budget. Um, thanks so much. I'm really, huh, thanks, right? But the next guy owed 500 denarii, which is the equivalent of $116,000 in today's currency. Right? So if I get forgiven of $116,000 as a debt, I'm going to cry. I'm going to be like, oh, are you serious? Oh my God. Oh. And I'll be like, Beck, you'll never believe what happened. I'm going to tell everybody what took place. It's going to go up on my Facebook wall. It's going to be like, you know, blessing spam. You know, uh, it's going to happen. How would, how, how would you be? Whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. See, worship, number one, worship rises from a grateful heart. What, what would cause this woman to go and do this extreme thing to Jesus? What caused her to love him in such an extravagant, public, affectionate, emotional way? Like... This is, if I was sitting there, I'd be like, <laughs> well, this is a bit over the top. I'd be feeling uncomfortable if you did that to someone's feet while I was having dinner with you. I'd be a little uncomfortable. But the forgiveness of her sins, her many sins, her sinful lifestyle, her choice to stay in that industry. I don't know how she got there. Her choice to, she, she's all of a sudden had this realisation of how sinful her life is and how, how much that lifestyle must be in opposition to God and His perfection. But now the man who can forgive her, the man who will set her free, the man who will totally wipe the slate clean is in this house right over there. And she's going to do something about it. And this is her moment of worship. This is her moment of, of restoration, right? So I, I want to hang around on verse 37 for a minute because I love this verse. So I want to read it again. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there. She came to him. Her gratefulness, her repentance, her turning around, her worship of God that caused her to leave her home and go to where Jesus was. To draw near. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. You know, sometimes you've you just got to turn up to church when you don't feel like it. You know? Sometimes you've got to get the kids out of bed and be like, come on, I don't feel like going to church. Yeah, well, neither do I. We're going anyway. Come on. You know, sometimes you just have to pull the car to the side of the road so you can take a moment with Jesus. You need to draw near. 
right? She, she found where Jesus was and she drew near. She found where Jesus was going to be and she made a decision to go there. And you and I, that's what worship does. That's what a life of worship looks like. A heart that is alive connects with God. All right. I love that she didn't come empty handed. She brought something. She, she brings an alabaster jar of perfume. I love it when, when you come to church and you're ready to worship. You, you, you know, you're ready. Uh, passion doesn't leave God with our leftovers. Passion brings God my, my best, my first. A heart that is set on fire wants God more than anything else. I don't know if you've ever prayed one of those prayers. It's like the most dangerous prayer you can pray. And it's like, God, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Oh, no, wait, I take that one back. Wait, wait, wait. You ever said that? I'll, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. Yeah. But when you, get your, when you get to a point where you say, God, I want you more than anything that this world can offer me, you're in a good place. It might be a place of desperation. It might be a place of brokenness. It might be a place where you feel like you're alone. But that is the best place that you could be at that time. When you are saying to God, I want you more than anything this world has to offer. Um, this alabaster jar of perfume was actually very, very significant because this was a reminder of her sin. And now she's changing it to be a reminder of his forgiveness. See, in Jesus' day, this perfume was, held, was used to entice men into her tent, into her home, was it to entice men to her. It was used for the, those purposes, those sinful purposes. And, the, and this jar, if it stayed in her home, if she, if, if she was to have a lifestyle change, but to keep that jar in her home, that would be a continual reminder of her sinful life. But she makes the choice to take the jar and use it as a reason to worship. I, we have to keep letting because we, we still sin, right? I mean, am I the only one here who still sins sometimes? That's pretty rare. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean. <laughs> but we have to let our sin remind us of our Savior. Right? Because the devil wants to come to you and he wants to use your sin to bring shame. But we have to keep letting that, that, even that guilt or that shame reminder go, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. No, 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 it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with guilt. It doesn't stop with shame that the devil's trying to throw on you. It keeps going to my savior. And then it ends up as a song. Anyway. I used to have this T-shirt when I was a kid. You know, uh, you know when you're a Christian teenager and your parents buy you all those cool T-shirts that everyone laughs at you for. Oh man, I had a whole I had a whole wardrobe full of T-shirts where my my parents would buy and I would be embarrassed. But I thought they were cool 
until someone laughed. Uh, I used to have one, you know, anyone used to like Guns N' Roses? Uh, anyone still like Guns N' Roses, the band? Yeah, yeah, just like two of you, great. Yeah. Oh, and up the back there, nice, she's like, oh, I think I still like Guns N' Roses now. That's good. Anyway, uh, so you know that, that they released an album that was called um, Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction? Yeah, that was really cool. Ah, but anyway, I had one that was God and Moses Appetite for Devotion. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was the cool kid on the street. Thanks, Joy and Ian Chapman, for that one. So this other t-shirt that I had, and now I'm, now I'm, now I'm not sure I can go there. This other t-shirt that I had said the next time, and it was like, like blue writing, and then it kind of got fiery down the bottom, like, you know, like flames coming off the text, right? And it just said, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, devil in your face. So I was well wearing this t-shirt around and I've got all these kids outside of Maccas going. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so these days, uh, these days I don't encourage people to get into a conversation with the devil. Just, just flip, flip this, the script. Just flip the script. The next time the devil reminds you of your past, just remind yourself of what Jesus has done instead. It's always, uh, every time you sin, that feeling that you get that's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's the Holy Spirit in you, not bringing guilt, not bringing shame. He's bringing conviction. He's saying to you, no, 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 hang on a minute. That's not how sons live. That's not how daughters live. That's not how people who belong to me live. You, I'm calling you to live higher than that, Right? You know, I'm calling you to live free as a child of God. You know, you got to keep reminding yourself of the true reason. Um, and let's, let's face it. Every one of us has done something that we hope that nobody finds out. Right? You and I. You're probably thinking of it right now. And you're like, yep, yep. Absolutely hope that nobody ever knows that. You know what? God knows that. And he still loves you. And he still died for you. For that express purpose to wipe that slate clean so that you could have relationship with him. That's the point. That's the point of the cross. The point of the cross is so that you could come to Jesus. You could come to God, right? Worship rises from gratefulness. And I love how this sinful woman was turning this, this jar, this reminder of her sin, she was turning it into a, into a reminder of God's goodness to her. And she was worshiping. Secondly, another thing we learn from this woman is that passion pushes you beyond what's popular. Passion for God will push you way beyond what is a normal, you know, 21st century Western civilization, capitalist hedonism lifestyle. It will push you way beyond that if you have a passion for God. You simply cannot stay the same as society when you love Jesus Christ. Not because, not because, you know, we're, we're trying to just be outcasts, but because Jesus is so much better 
than anything else that, that, that the world has to offer. In Romans chapter 1 and 2, it says this, and I know that we've looked at Romans 12, 1, but I want to take it into verse 2 today as well. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We talked about that. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. But then in verse 2, this is what it says. It's like, it's like verse 2 helps me to work out verse 1. Verse 2 helps me to live out verse 1 and it says do not conform to the pattern of the world but be transformed that's a word that means metamorphosis that's a word that means on the outside I'm changing so how do I how do I change on the outside well that's going to tell me right be transformed on the outside by the renewing of your mind my outside changes, my behaviour, my attitudes, my, the way that I live changes as a result of God changing the way that I think. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Okay? Do not conform by letting God transform your mind. You know, I, know, I, I just think that you and I are never going to be true worshippers until we let go of our right to be conformists. You know, no, I still want the world. Well, you can't have both, you know. I always think of that little girl in the old El Paso ad. Why can't we have both? <laughs> you know, and they're like, da, 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 da. yeah, celebration. We can have tacos and wraps or whatever. You can't have Jesus and the world. Why don't we have both? No, you can't. Sorry, young Spanish girl. You can't have both. <laughs> All right. So, so this, this back, to, back to Luke chapter 7, uh, this sinful woman's passion for Jesus pushed her beyond what was popular. The religious leaders were disgusted with her and disgusted that Jesus should have known who she was and what she was doing. But you know what? She didn't care. She didn't care what people thought. She was going to worship Jesus no matter what the repercussions. I love that. She was willing to bring what we call a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice that would cost her dearly. This, this jar of perfume, an alabaster jar of perfume in a different passage, okay, could be sold for more than a year's wages. Think about how much you earn in a year, this is what she was pouring over Jesus' feet. Okay? It's a sacrifice that cost her. Worship, worship always costs you something. Okay? David said, uh, where is it? In David's life, 1 and 2 Samuel, he's buying a plot of land and someone says, no, no, I'll give it to you. And he says, no, I, I will not bring a sacrifice to God that costs me nothing. Right? See, the more that we are reminded of our sin, the more that we realize God's grace. Then the more our heart turns to him and the more we're prepared to worship him at any cost. You know? And so when I talk about worship today, yeah, I'm talking about like the worship that we spend with like the, you know, there's people playing up here and someone singing up here and you're, there's words on the screen and we're all together and we're worshiping. But I'm also talking about this lifestyle 
You know, this Romans 12:1, live as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship, right? So I'm talking about lifestyle lived to God. Worship isn't 20 minutes on a Sunday, right? Worship is my entire life. I'm learning how to glorify God on Monday morning when I've got to get up and go to work and be kind to the boss, you know? I love that her worship cost her. It cost her the value of the perfume. It cost her the ridicule of the people around her. It, it would have cost the, the, her, her, the loss of her employment, the loss of her reputation in those sh- shady areas around town. It cost her to publicly weep and anoint Jesus. Worship always has a cost. Always. You know, when you decide to worship God despite your feelings or despite your uh, circumstance, you know, circumstances don't always lean to, uh, lean to great worship and praise moments, do they? Circumstances sometimes lead me to go, what the hell are you doing, God? Like, are you for real? And then I have to realise he's still good. He's still worthy. He's still faithful. He's still grace. He's still filled with grace and mercy towards me, no matter what I'm going through. So we have to kind of get this thing that worship isn't a feelings-oriented offering. Worship isn't feelings-based. We're not called to worship God when I feel like it. Like, okay, uh, when you're in a good mood, then uh, that's a good time to worship. You know? You know, that, that, I mean, for me, obviously, Beck, that would be every day. I'm in a great mood all the time. Uh, so <laughs> but this is not, worship isn't feelings based. I don't just come to church and, you know, go, yeah, yeah, I'm in a great mood. I'm lift my hands like in the first song. Check me out. Lifting my hands in the, everyone, I'm in a good mood. Clearly, I'm lifting my hands in the first song. God's great. Right? It's not, it's, not about, it's not about feelings. It's not because I'm in a good mood. It's because he's worthy. Right? It's because of what he's done. It's because of who he is. It's because he's worthy. And, and, and we kind of think that worship is about what I get. It, but that's, that's kind of back to front, right? Worship is not about us. Yes, you get something. I think there's always, there's always a cost to worship and there's always a benefit in worship. But sometimes the benefit isn't what you think it is. Sometimes, you know, I'll get up in the morning and I'll put on, you know, I'll go through my, my process, put on some great music. This is going to be awesome. I'll get out my Bible, my journal. I'm going to press in now. And I'm like, where are you? But do I close my Bible and turn the music off because I don't feel the presence of God? Do I stop coming to church because I don't feel the presence of God? No, maybe, maybe he's just saying, come a bit closer. Come on, keep pursuing me. Just don't stop. Don't stop. Just keep going. Maybe he's trying to teach you that it's not about your feelings or it's not about what you can get. It's just because he's worthy. He, he, he is so, so worthy of your worship. Then in Romans 12, 1, which we've just looked at, right? It says, live your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In another version, it says, this is your reasonable, 
This is your reasonable act of service. This is your reasonable response to what God has done to live your entire life as an offering to Him. That is, that's the only reasonable response. I love that. Erwin McManus, I'm reading this book right now, which is, you need to read that, borrow it off me later. Not today, I haven't finished it, but... I think we, we all need to get fired up again. Listen to what this quote is. It's a, it's a long quote, so stay with me, all right? Stay with me. Well, I'm going to finish in a minute, five minutes or so. It says, it says, the invitation of Jesus is a revolutionary call to fight for the heart of humanity. We are called to an unconventional war using only the weapons of faith, hope, and love, Nevertheless, this war is no less dangerous than any war ever fought. And for those of us who embrace the cause of Christ, the cost to participate in the mission of God is nothing less than everything we are and everything we have. Write that on your bedroom wall. Thirdly, authenticity and passion bring glory to God, bring God glory. Jesus is uh, meeting with a different woman at a public place in a, at a well in Samaria in John chapter 4. And in verse 23, he says to her, Yet a time is coming and has now come where the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Authentic worship. Worshipping in spirit and in truth. Worshipping in spirit and reality. They are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. In order that I can worship God authentically, right, I need to, I need to worship Him and the truth of who I am. Okay? You might, uh, sometimes we have other pastors here. Some are way more expressive in worship than me. Sometimes you might look at me and go, what the heck? He's going for it, or this, this front row, they're a bunch of freaks. Like, what the heck, you know? Um, you don't have to worship like somebody else worships. You just worship like you worship. Just be free, right? Be free in your worship, you know? Um, we need to worship authentically. Worship authentically. That means I need to worship inside of my circumstance, inside of the reality of my life right now, I still need to step out and worship. That's also called a sacrifice of praise. When I have to sacrifice how I'm feeling, what I'm going through to worship God anyway, right? That's a sacrifice of praise. I haven't burnt any animals to get there. I have, it's not a sacrifice in that sense. It's a sacrifice in how I'm feeling to give God glory because He's still worthy despite what I'm walking through. All right? So, so like when, when I worship in our service, right, uh, like today, you could be mistaken for thinking that I'm fake because I'm engaged. I am naturally a fairly expressive person. I'm naturally a fairly passionate person. But in reality, I'm just being me. And I'm just being free. 
And you don't have to be like me. You just have to be like you. But you need to be passionate. Why do you need to be passionate? Because it, 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 passion brings the glory to God. But passion's going to look different in your life than it's going to look in my life. It's just a matter of what's happening in your heart. I'm expressive, I'm passionate, and I'm a worshiper, but, and I, I lift my hands really early in the service. And sometimes am I always feeling, feeling the presence of God in that express moment? No. Sometimes I'm just going to go there because I need Him. I, I, like, I, I like step out in faith. I'm like, I'm just going to express my worship. I'm going to go there until I feel it. You know, it's like decisions come before emotions. I'm just going to go there and then I'm just going to expect God that you're going to turn up. It took me to the, like the end of the third song before I was really feeling God's presence on me. But I'm just going to keep going there. I'm just going to keep turning the music on in the car. I'm just going to keep trying to connect and just listening to what he wants to say because it's not about how I feel. And I also come to church ready. I come to church and I'm prayed up. I'm ready to bring the word. I'm ready to worship. Some of us, it takes us to the, you know, the end of the service before we go, oh yes, oh no, I am ready for you. Oh no, hang on a minute, oh, and it's over. And you go, come on. You know, you're like the only person who's like, you know, not happy when it hits 12 o'clock and we finish. I just keep pressing in until I encounter him. That's authentic for me. That's what authentic worship looks like for me. I've got one more, one more verse to read and then we're going to finish. I'm going to finish with a song. Can you guys come up? Is that all right? Where are you? Over there. Cool. I'm going to jump all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's where the, the ark of the Lord was brought back into Israel. And the ark of the Lord represented the, uh, the ark of the covenant. It represented God's presence. And David has a party in front of everybody. He goes for it in front of everybody. 2 Samuel 6 verses 12 to 16, it says this. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Verse 14, wearing a linen ephod, he's just wearing this linen thing. There's not much going on. Okay, he's just wearing a piece of linen. That's it. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michelle, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. That's his wife. His wife is despising him in her heart. You know, it's not always popular to be a passionate Jesus follower. And sometimes you're going to have to prepare your heart for the contempt of other people. 
because they're not ready for where you're going. I love that David is unashamedly expressing the fullness of his complete and absolute delight in having the ark of God back in, the t- in, back in town. He's like, it's here, it's here, it's here, it's here. You know, when do you get the most excited? When your football team wins? When you've arrived, you know, at, 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 the, at the stadium and everyone's like, <sighs> when do you get the most excited? The presence of God had come back into town and David was stoked, so stoked that he would strip off to his underwear and parade himself dancing and leaping while the ark of the Lord is being brought in. David's like, yeah, he's going for it. And everyone's like, okay. And his wife is like, I think so. And later on, she says, you have, you have unglorified yourself. You have, shame, you have brought shame on yourself. And he's like, I don't care. I don't care. I am, I am blessed that, that God's presence is back. David gives his all. It wasn't popular, but it was authentic. And it was passionate. And God was glorified by it. You know, there's there's these words right at the end of verse 14. Can we bring up verse 14 again? Right at the end. And it says, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Those people who deeply understand what God has done for them, they're the ones who live for Jesus with all their might. And sometimes we just have to go, that's the kind of life I want to live. I don't want to live a half-hearted, fake-looking faith. I want to live for Jesus with all my might. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.